Welcome to the LTID Network Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson, and on this podcast, we seek out the world's best researchers, coaches, support staff, teachers, and athletes to better understand the process of long-term athlete development. Don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform and 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50. That's LTADVIP50 at the LTID Network Hub website. This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets, just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures, or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. We wanted to let you know that the best athletic development conference in the world is back for live face-to-face events. That's right, the LTAD Network Conference is coming back to the UK from the 9th and 10th of July 2022 from 9am to 5pm at Hartbury University in Gloucester. We've got some fantastic speakers lined up, including Dr. Matt Jordan from the Canadian Sports Institute, Dr. Megan Hill from Leeds Beckett University, Rob Walsh from Netherlands Ski, Dr. Paul Reed from the Institute of Sport, David Johnson from West Ham Academy, Mike Young from Athletic Lab, James Baker from Aspire Academy, and myself, plus many, many more to be announced. So don't miss out. Head to the ltadnetwork.com website now to sign up before our super early bird tickets run out. Welcome to the LTAD Network podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Dan Howells. Dan is a high-performance coach with a career spanning over 15 years of work in elite sport, both in the UK and in the USA. Dan is a certified strength and conditioning coach and has worked with the Olympic and Paralympic programs, US and GB ski teams, English Institute of Sport, Wasps Rugby Club, England Rugby Sevens, the Team GB Rugby Sevens at the 2016 and 2020 Olympic Games, and the Houston Astros Major League Baseball Club. As well as focusing on creating impact and success within performance sport organizations, Dan is passionate about creating real-world learning opportunities for developing coaches and practitioners. Coaching coaches is something he's heavily invested in. So Dan, welcome to the podcast. Awesome to have you on this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So before we dig into the backstory and the career and, and where, where you're at now and what you're doing, give us a bit of an understanding of what it was like for a young Dan Howells growing up. What sports were the ones that you got involved in, which captured your imagination and, and how that kind of uh, unfold for you? Yeah, early on, it was definitely focused towards team sports, cricket, football and, and following really in the footsteps of what my friends were doing. Um, then around 13, 14, uh, having a passionate Welsh father who was um very motivated by me being involved in rugby 
um, I'd resisted it for long enough. And so I, you know, took to having a go at it. And, and it turned out that that was something I was reasonably good at. And so that was where I took my focus in sport from that point on and played some, some representative rugby throughout my youth at school. Um, it actually took me to a, a, a grammar school up north and, and gave me an opportunity to to play with some fantastic players who are still friends today. And um, yeah, and then that took me on to a semi-professional environment really as well uh, as a as a youth rugby player. I uh, was not successful enough to, to, to make it into the professional ranks, played some championship rugby um, in my early 20s before I started to shift towards a focus in my career. Mm. So what, when was it that coaching started to appear on the horizon for you thinking, actually, I fancy being on the other side and, and being more in the support side of things? Was it something that you'd always thought about or was it something that, you you know, as the athletic career kind of maybe wasn't going to pan out? Did you think, hmm, I fancy being in the, in the periphery? How did that work? Yeah, I always had a dream to play professionally. That was always the goal. Um, but I was reasonably self-aware of where I sat in the pecking order compared to other peers. Um, and so as my career unfolded uh, towards more of the lower leagues, I just realized that I needed a fullback. And so I was actually more interested in the sports science element of it and, and physiology uh, throughout my academics. And so I probably didn't realize that I wanted to be a coach at that point, but the theme or the purpose, which I think is the theme throughout coaching is to help people become better versions of themselves and maximize their capability. So even though I was thinking of the lab setting, the physiology setting, it was still to help people. Um, so I always had that incentive. And I think that came from playing sport. I was more invested in team sports. I had was a bit of a, a leader, a captain type of figure. And so my want to bring out the best in people in those environments on the field uh, was there as well. So I probably didn't know it at the time, but it, you know, I was just going down the routes that suited my skill set naturally fortunately. Mm. And walk us through your kind of career journey. Obviously, a heavy sprinkling of rugby involved in various formats, mm. but a few other little interesting uh, kind of twists mm. and turns. So how did your kind of coaching career get started and where did that take you? Yeah, the, the very first employment opportunity I had was so far removed from rugby. It was probably the best thing I ever did, which was to jump into a skiing internship. Um, so working with the US ski team and the reason I went for that was that it was broadcast as a physiologist, uh, nutritionist, biomechanist, and strength conditioning hybrid of a role. So we're going to do a little bit of everything. And I wasn't too you know, bothered by the strength conditioning because I've been a rugby player. I felt at that point, I knew what I needed to know. You know, lift big to fatigue, have a protein shake, uh, run hard, sprint fast. And that, that was essentially it. Um, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was really humbled quite quickly in that environment when I saw what what depths of thought people were going into. So that was my very first step on the career path to understand what, what was out there and what, what potential for working in elite sports would have for me. And then I shifted my, my focus towards coaching, you know, actual strength conditioning coaching. Came back to the UK and, and realized that that was a gap in my skill set which is another sort of thing that I'm trying to help people with these days is that we think about the goal where we, where we want to be and we bring that to the forefront of what we want next. And it's this as a gap. Um, so I did a really good job probably of identifying the fact that to be a strength conditioning coach, I needed to be certified and have credentials. So I spent the next 18 months working at the University of Brighton as a sports science officer, but with the sole purpose of 
practicing my coaching skills with what, what were youth and TAS athletes at the time. Um, that was appealing to me in that role, but also gave me ample time to, you know, get accredited for the UKCA at that point. And, and then that just catapulted then from that point on to um, working the IS for five years. And again, another big benefit. I hadn't even touched the sport of rugby at this point, um, working in adaptive sports, disability sports, Olympic, Paralympic uh, environments, um, pathway, youth, male, female, just a massively broad exposure. And that was really, really, really insightful and impactful on the rest of the career. And then I started to, to specialise into professional rugby with Wasps and then England Sevens and experience of Commonwealths and Olympic environments. Um, and then an opportunity came to move into baseball. So another completely awry or side, side focus from my motivations as such as playing as a rugby player. And, and that was really cool. That was really cool to spend three years in Major League Baseball with a massive organization with a very different approach to performance impact and what it means. And then came back uh, 18 months ago, um, supported the Rugby Sevens in their quest for a medal in Tokyo, uh, helped solve a few problems that had their performance problems with rebuilding a team. And then recently uh, taking more of a step in towards coaching coaches. So that purpose of helping people is still there. I just don't feel the need to be front-facing with athletes uh, at the moment and get a lot of um, motivation and reward for helping other coaches. So pretty interesting twists and turns, obviously going from an institute side of things to club rugby to national governing body rugby to the Olympics. So a real mix and match. Mm. Um, I think you probably will know a good friend of mine and Mark Robertson was at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Yes. Yeah. Robert. Absolutely. And um, he's he, again, another guy that's in the, in the strength and conditioning field now. Yeah. Yeah. Literally across the road from here at Edinburgh rugby. Yeah. He, I worked under him when I first came into Scottish rugby, he was my, uh, the lead SNC and I was the assistant. So I know him very well. So what was it like going from rugby into to baseball? How did that opportunity come around? Cause it seems so left field, obviously, you know, mm. most of your career being based in the UK, aside from the internship, when was it that, that baseball in the United States kind of picked its head up and said, Hey, we've got something for you. Yeah. So, so some opportunities you, you put your foot, your hat in the ring for and, and you, are well aware that they're out there and you chase them and other opportunities sort of come towards you and uh this one came towards me i wasn't aware even of the team unfortunately i didn't know that there was a team called the houston astros that's how uneducated i was in the baseball sense but um what happened was that they had a a specific problem to solve the problem they wanted to solve was we want to bring on board an individual that can help us with load management and we have the foresight to learn from other sports and team sport environments, football, rugby would be suitable candidates for this role potentially if they have the ability to diversify their skill set to, to baseball. And so that was really cool to hear because I liked the fact that that environment identified that they had a problem even though they'd won the World Series recently. Um, they were always trying to grow. So that was appealing. So we, we talked and discussed options and um, went through interview process quite rigorous, very rigorous, in fact, and luckily came out with the opportunity to go over there. And um, no different, really, to a normal application process, interview process, um, just the fact that it was made aware to me rather than me being aware of it to start with. Um, but it was the skill set, I think, suited the performance problem that that environment was trying to solve for the next two to three years. Mm, really interesting to contrast some of the different, I guess, 
competitive environments when you go from premiership rugby where it's week in week out across the uk mm. across europe to to rugby sevens where it's the hsbc world series and you might be in dubai and sydney and you know kind of all over the place to going to the olympics where it's a very much a big kind of uh, you know uh climax of an event and then into you know what is again another completely different environment in major league baseball so it must be really interesting to kind of get a taste and a flavor of all those various competitive environments yeah 100 i think the the, the each environment is is still a performance problem that's the way i look at it it's it's what is it we're trying to to do to move the needle and and ultimately also what does success look like i talk to coaches at the moment and everybody's focused again on the acute impact i what will my program look like you know what is a traditional strength program look like what are the principles and what have i learned and what can i apply as quick as possible and they forget the end impact or inflection point of impact and performance and actually a team you may have learned about the strength and conditioning principles but a team may benefit more from player availability and an injury resilience program that is so far removed from what you are thinking about acutely and that's what i liked about each environment it allowed me to, to it challenged me to set step back and look at the problem that the organization or environment was trying to solve to measure success against and Again, going back to my early career experience of going, all right, I'm going to go and work in skiing that I have no idea about, helped me not have an emotional attachment to us to an environment or sport and look at it for movements, actions, biomechanics, bioenergetics, etc. Um, and I think that's helped me and you know be adaptable in my principles. So those environments have been amazing. There's been a huge number of different types of demand from the World Series, from heat and jet lag management, different types of monitoring to working with 20 players versus 45 players, playing every week versus playing every six weeks versus playing every night in baseball. Um, yeah, so a, a drastically contrasting set of circumstances. And I think that, if anything, it was just a really enjoyable process to go through to sit there and go, okay, what, what, what do we need to problem solve here? Hmm, interesting. One of the themes, I mean, you've already mentioned it, but one of the themes that's kind of coming out as we speak is that idea of helping people become better versions of themselves, whether that's hmm. a rugby player, a baseball player, a skier, or even a coach, which takes us nicely on to, to collaborate sports. So tell us a bit around collaborate sports. What is it? What was the catalyst for you yeah. starting on it? And, and what's kind of the end game? Yeah, for, for those that haven't you know, seen myself or, or that, um, I guess, uh, environment I'm trying to create, it's a it's an opportunity to help practitioners um, gain exposure to what I'm calling real-world solutions. I think we do a fantastic job in every discipline of learning explicitly. We learn through our education routes and, and we learn the explicit knowledge. But what I was seeing in my environments that, I was, that I've described to you so far is that everybody that I was line managing, it was the people that had the most adaptability and the real-world um, respect for having to change things on the on the hoof or on the fly and make them real world in terms of the solutions that they were creating were the ones that got further or had the most impact and effectiveness so i wanted to raise awareness of that a little bit um now it was originally born out of covid in the sense that it was actually a personal coping mechanism for me i sat in my house in, in florida being told that we can't go anywhere near our athletes and we just had to sit tight and every day we'll know more tomorrow so i was sitting there thinking, right, I have a problem. I, my, my purpose is to help people, right? But that had been taken away from me. Um, 
I saw a lot of other people with this, the same problem, but they were also looking for support as developing practitioners. So I just started putting on some free webinars and had some, some really good outreach on something as simple as soft skills. We touched on soft skills. And so within that, I felt that there was a need to um, provide a, a bit of a service of mentorship to coaches because so much simple advice from people who've been two steps ahead in their career was having a big impact on the people I was talking to. And I got enjoyment out of it. So didn't know how long COVID was going to last. And so I started you know, developing a bit more of a product line in the sense of group mentorships, monthly interactive webinars, um, and, and what I call bespoke coaching, a bit more of a one-on-one -on -one situation. But irrespective, the theme is collaboration, i.e. conversation, facilitation. And, and that's on, on me as, a, I guess, a leader to understand when do I need to coach somebody versus mentor them. There's two different um, approaches there. Um, but also make things affordable. We're in an industry that people, you know, have to work and volunteer and intern or, or take a lower wage on entry to the industry. And so that's where the group mentorship was born and having between 10 and 20 coaches, like-minded peers, hearing each other's stories was hugely, or has been hugely beneficial to raise their awareness of different environments, um, different challenges, or the same challenges and that they're not the only person that are experiencing these situations and collaboratively provide solutions and discussion points and action points for people to go away with. So it's got different, different strands of opportunity for people, but essentially it's to help practitioners and um, through discussion, very little about formal education, but more about life experience and real world solutions for everyone. It's really uh, fitting, I think, that, uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned was about adaptability and then along comes COVID and, you know, your adaptability mm. is kind of showing the fact that you started this sort of thing. But I think that's really true. You don't need to be coaching SNC for very long to realize adaptability is like a prime skill because, mm. you know, you've written down your program and someone turns up and they've bust their shoulder or the coach yeah. says, actually, you know, you're going to have this additional group for an extra half an hour or now we're not training at that time anymore. We're training at this time in this different location. And, you know, and I think that's that's really true from reflecting back on the people I know that have, you know, continued to have good careers in SNC. It's that ability to think on your feet that really does separate them out. And be able to you know whether it's drawing on experience or drawing on someone else's experience to go okay here's the, here's the new plan here's the updated plan here's what we're going to pivot and go and do i think that is really key and it's something that is you know people often you know lambast universities for not preparing students but actually that's not necessarily something you can do in a classroom it's something that needs practical experience and exposure to okay plan a is out the window what's your plan b hmm. yeah and 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 mistakes as well you know jumping into an experience in in the states i was a you know, I was a little bit caught off guard with how regimented everything needed to be for the individuals who were given ownership. They were given a group to work with and therefore they should take ownership of that environment. But they'd been born into a culture of we say at the top, do this and, and therefore follow the instructions. And I challenged them, those individuals, to understand that they're, they're not coaching because coaching means affecting change and developing another individual. Yet if you're just facilitating a a set of 10 exercises across a session with no corrective element to it or uh, curiosity within questioning to an individual at the very least, then you're not really coaching. Um, and it all comes back to that. You, you don't know what you don't know. And mistakes help you learn that. Um, they don't need to be a hard and fast mistakes, but being well aware of how you can be better, um, you know, what you can do differently next time is really important 
to drive your adaptability. And I guess the collaborative sports element is that I'm trying to help people raise awareness of you don't know what you don't know yet and bring that opportunity to them a bit earlier um, whilst they're waiting for their next opportunity because we know that there is a, a probably a waiting list right on job jobs and recruitment for, for these for these individuals um, but yeah mistakes are um, there's a big difference I will say between negligence and a mistake negligence is I'm semi-conscious really of what that is and is a big impact but a mistake um, okay I'm learning from it what can I do better next time what can I do to make sure it doesn't happen again and it was you know honestly a, a, a an honest mistake um, and just giving people the freedom to realize that that's something that they you know, is allowed within that environment was quite empowering. Um, you know, when I when I moved to the states, but it was a light bulb moment for me that the everything we learn is underpinning. It's completely underpinning to the real world of adaptability, basically. Mm. So, why do you think? I mean, mentoring is very much in vogue these days. It's something that yeah. maybe has become a lot more formalized than maybe it used to be. Um, you know, before yeah. it would just be someone would take you out of their wing and you kind of did almost this informal kind of learning. Why do you think mentoring is is important or is beneficial? I, I think it helps individuals get to resolutions quicker. I've been there myself. And I mean, just think about the number of questions you've asked yourself in a given day related to your field. And just imagine if you could have had a, a conversation about that with an individual. Now, we all look at the world differently and we all look at the same situation through a different lens based on our experiences and how we perceive things. And so having a mentor is, is to talk to somebody that's been there before you and has probably a, a different way to look at things and can give you perspective. Um, what I think is, you're right, is on vogue as such is, is this bang on trend word of mentoring but what I like to do is understand the distinct difference between coaching and mentorship. And I wrote an article recently about it. And the, the difference is that mentoring, I think, is you know, you, the person that takes you under their wing, you could just ask them a question over coffee with whatever's relevant or present at that moment. But is that intentional to your development? It could be quite far removed. And it could, could be that you have a confirmation bias in that sense. You, you really enjoy speed. You're really good at it. And so that's what you talk to your mentor about. However, the biggest gap and the biggest barrier to achieving the next role that you want is your ability to manage data and integrate it to decisions, for example. And yet those mentoring conversations don't go that way sometimes because your, your bias is towards what you enjoy. And so that's why I think it's really important to understand that sometimes you need coaching and guidance towards understanding gaps. And so I call it ment group mentorship, um, I have an element of what I call bespoke coaching as well, but essentially it, it operates along a bandwidth of styles and and and, and raising awareness for, for younger or developing practitioners. And so finding somebody that can give you that service is really important, I think. And yeah, I'll be honest, in the practitioners I work with, those ones that are willing to invest in themselves time, if not financially, are the ones that understand that they're, they're, they're willing to pay for expertise or uh, supplement their career development externally to to get themselves to that next point and and I was of that mindset as well and I, it it's what I call it seems to differentiate people which is it's a competitive environment isn't it so that's why I think it's important to raise people's awareness of the benefit of it um, 
but also that's the whole reason I've done free sessions and group interactive sessions that are free for access because of that 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 unaccessibility sometimes by cost. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting conversation because uh, SNC coaches will always invest in a new course or another piece of you know content knowledge. Uh, you know, I'm going to listen to this webinar by this person on speed or this person on Olympic lifting or this person on force plates or whatever. You start having a conversation about other things, um, other skill sets. You know, outside of for example, outside of maybe a club setting, you know, working on your sales or your business skills or your leadership. Mm. And there's a, there seems to be uh, a disinterest in developing those skill sets. And I think it's exactly what you, you have, have uh, picked up on there is that confirmation bias of, oh, I, I, I want to keep learning this stuff. And I don't know if you've seen the, um, the, the film Spinal Tap where the lead guitarist has an amp that goes up to 11. And I feel like that's what a lot of SNC coaches do. They're like a 10 out of 10 and they want to turn it up to an 11. But this other skill yeah. set is at a one out of 10. And, you know, yeah. we're not going to touch that. I don't care about that. And it's like, well, actually, that's the thing that's holding you back. It's not going up to an 11 on speed. It's going up to a five out of 10 on interpersonal communication or, you know, planning and innovation and those kind of things. And I think it's really interesting that raising awareness piece is a big is a big thing, because I think when you look at junior coaches, you do see that. See, see someone who's really got the bit between their teeth and is really mega keen on Olympic lifts. And you're like, yeah, you've kind of got that one in the bag, but you haven't developed this you know, you're not, you're not able to interact with your athletes well. So you can have all the knowledge you want on the clean and jerk techniques or whatever, but your athletes don't care because they're disinterested because you're not engaging. You know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you're right. And it's, I like your analogy with the spinal tap for a lot of time for, for that. And uh, it's, again, it's, you don't know what you don't know sometimes. And some environments, especially early on in my career, I didn't have many people around me to be mentors and so I networked and I created opportunities for myself and asked questions but everything was intentional based on the fact that I was quite comfortable at that time showing that I didn't know and that's the other thing is that there's sometimes we've got to drop the ego in our development in order to move ourselves forward and this and and no student no, no question is a silly question really if you don't know the answer and so find out from somebody else um yeah, and so it's 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 just not going to happen if we stay on course with the the, the sort of formal education routes. They're there to to create an absolute underpinning uh, knowledge base for you to show that you can be applied and go through a process of your know, assignments and deadlines, etc., and develop your skills. But then in the real world, it's this adaptability element. And I think I, I put out a post this morning just simply about cover letters and some conversations I've had recently with, with a lot of developing coaches and falling at the first hurdle because they weren't paying attention to the details that mattered, i.e. what am I doing to capture the attention of the individual reading my letter? What am I doing to differentiate myself from the person next to me? And what am I doing to differentiate myself by showing that I can perform the skills and prerequisites in that job? And that these are the experiences that I've um, learned from in the past and, and using stories in your cover letter all those things just don't become part of the formal route they come through somebody like yourself or myself taking someone under our wing um and but that's you're lucky if people do that for you so if people aren't doing it for you how are you going to take control of yourself that's really important i think
Mm, I think it's interesting, as you mentioned, because I can definitely kind of uh, remember in my own mindset, you know, being a person that wanted to chase qualifications and chase, you know, content knowledge and struggling with the concept of, of paying someone to mentor me. Um, but looking back, I've done that several times now and at no point have I regretted it. It's been a useful exercise each and every time, you know, predominantly on the business side of things and, and leadership. But, you know, I'm paying for that on a regular, you know, situation now on a monthly basis and it's mm. exponentially increased my development but i think a big part of this is kind of um kind of the glorification of the hustle culture and building it on your own and oh you know i'm a self-made coach a self-made man it's like okay you're just glorifying taking the slow route like yeah. if you had a mentor that you met with every week they could speed up your development because they could steer mm. you clear of the mistakes they've made you know you can draw on their wisdom so yeah it might be great to be a self-made coach and, and carve out your own career your own niche but it might take you a decade but this person could do it for you in 18 months you know yeah. so, so where's the glory in, in doing and being slow yeah. and efficient people think about it the wrong way around they think about the short-term cost but actually it's costing you more by not doing it in the long run because it might take you an extra 18 months to get that role and the, the other thing is yeah i've done the same you know something as simple as having a logo redesigned for my website created a lot more attention and it was an inv a significant investment for to pay a professional to to redesign it but it was far better than i could ever done and it got me there far quicker so it saved me time which actually created more opportunity for me and so we think about things in a cost benefit but i think try to educate people in a transactional element so if you know if you can't pay for something you know that that's that's obviously part of a budget management uh, component but what can you do to create some tra transactional value add in two directions with an individual and people get that wrong in networking people just cold call people and cold call one person and wait for the reply and it's like well people are busy and and people don't owe anybody any anything unfortunately but if you show that okay dan i heard your your podcast with athletic ego and and it really stimulated some thoughts for me have you got a moment to speak about mentorship or direct me in the right direction um anything i can do to to add value back, I'd love to help with. Um, do let me know if this is of interest. Is a is a is a respectful appreciation of the fact that transaction has to occur between two people sometimes. Um, and yeah, it's it's just being smart, savvy, isn't it? As mm. opposed to book smart, it's, it's life smart. Yeah, I think it's. I don't know where I heard this quote, but it's something that I come back to time and time again, which is. Um, knowledge is learning from your own experiences wisdom is learning from the experiences of others and I think that's what mentorship's about it's having the wisdom to realize okay I could make this same mistake and it will cost me time and money and effort and blood sweat and tears and stress or I can almost you know create almost like a cheat code to get around it by by tapping into the knowledge of someone else who's been there and done it and who, who better to be able to see the things that are coming down the pipe for you and you may be completely blind to than someone who's walked that, that same path or a very similar one so I think, uh, you know, for me personally, that was kind of the inspiration for this podcast. You know, when I started back when nobody listened, it wasn't because I wanted to create an audience, it's because I wanted to have a chat with that person, you know, and over the time, I'm fortunate to have chats with people like Des Ryan, Mike Boyle, Mike Young, James Baker, you know, Dan Baker, all these kind of people for, you know, that's been a massive influence on my own learning as a coach and sped up my development. But, the, you know, I've often found people who are quite open to sharing that knowledge, but not a lot of people will ask because, as you said, they don't want to be the person that looks stupid or they don't want to ask a silly question and their ego gets bruised. They'd rather preserve their ego and actually end up improving themselves as a coach, potentially. Yeah, it's interesting because I've, I've actually advertised, um, I think, 
on a few different platforms across the last couple of weeks to, and I do this once a year to offer my, my time to talk to developing coaches about career advice or anything SNC related. And, um, you know, get good uptake from people for, for sure. Um, but part of that process said, I say, hey, you know, I hope you've enjoyed the last 30 minutes. There's no obligation or anything, but I've actually set up a practitioner fund. So if you would have bought me a coffee, considered maybe donating to that, I'm just going to help somebody else in the industry. I'm trying to recycle people's sort of generosity in places um, whilst not, you know, exploiting that situation myself because I generally want to help people. Um, but I think that, yeah, a lot of people's focus is they expect that time in, in return for nothing and that it's part and process of, uh, of life. And um, you, you'll find people who, who want to help you, absolutely. But like I say, is it intentional to your needs or is it, is it comfortable based on a situation you were already gifted, you know, like a previous working relationship or an interaction? And actually you need to, to get to this destination quicker because that's the gap you need to close to give yourself the best opportunity. And, you know, I think you spoke with Josh, Josh Fletcher recently and we talked quite heavily about this and, and working on something in particular, but it's, it, you know, we, we plan athletes' progression. Their career is their athletic profile, really. We plan that, but we don't really give the same attention to it in in our own career. And we peak people for three or four years' time, yet we expect to jump into our, our dream job tomorrow and uh, not willing to put the sort of our effort into that over time. So, yeah, really interesting one. Um, and I'm not sure I have the, all the answers, but at least I'm trying to provide opportunities and options for people. Mm. So that leads nicely to the question of what do you think good mentoring should look like or what should that that relationship kind of be characterized by? It definitely needs rapport and trust. And so, you know, I think if no, nobody's signed up for anything with me that hasn't had a little bit of time with me beforehand mm -hmm. to understand if it's a good fit, if there's rapport and trust that, that will fit their needs. And they have to feel comfortable. So you have to feel comfortable in that situation. If you can feel comfortable, you can also feel that. Um, if you feel comfortable, you also have the opportunity to feel comfort within challenge as well. And that's really important is that you can't find somebody that just tells you you're doing everything great. You're doing everything great. You need to be challenged um, to reconsider some of the directives you're taking or direction and give you insight into other areas. You can upskill and put some ownership back on you a little bit. Um, not give you all the answers. So there's this facilitative coaching uh, side of things where you're you're helping somebody uh, find out some of the answers for themselves through experience and maybe even some mistakes, um, even reflective tasks, etc. Or you're just saying it how it is based on wisdom because they need to hear that information at that particular time. And again, each and every one, because you know better the time in that process, gets you to a destination quicker. Um, and I've had individuals tell, it just be good for a catch up. Well, actually, I don't, none of my mentees have my phone number at all. I operate completely through online or in person and I operate through another communication channel because it, it keeps the situation very professional and intentional again, as opposed to just picking up for, for a chat um, because I, we get to really good resolutions a lot quicker that way. So, you know, there's there's different ways to do it, but you need to have trust with an individual and rapport and, and comfort in that situation so that you can be challenged um, to think 
differently and and given a different perspective through you know your discipline as such mm. um, you know i think that intentionality seems to be a theme isn't it it's mm. it's you know i'm either coming to you with a specific problem or i'm coming to you with the attitude of i want to get better help me find yeah. out what's holding me back yeah it's not hey i just want to chat about speed because i really like speed yeah and so there's there's one of the processes I go through is a needs analysis. So if I'm working with individuals one-on-one, -on -one, we do a needs analysis for our athletes or sport, sorry, and we layer our athlete into that. Well, let's do a needs analysis against the career. Let's understand where I sit compared to world-class. Um, and that that is a really good process from a, a task point of view for individuals to go through. It gives them really good reflection points. And... But then with other people, it might be that they have this specific problem. I'm, I'm having a, an issue with my ability to manage my team and conflict. How do I go through that? And it might be that I'm not the resolution for them. It might be that I have advice that I can give them to seek the advice of somebody else. But essentially, I'm helping them get to that destination quicker because I've raised their awareness of an individual that they may not know about. Hmm. So what advice would you have for coaches who are listening to this and thinking, OK, yeah, I want to find a mentor. Now, obviously, Collaborate Sports is a great place to start. But, you know, if there's, as you said, it's not necessarily the, the be all and end all. There might be some other people that you would signpost out to yourself as well, like any good practitioner. So what would be some of the kind of, I guess, key questions that maybe a potential mentee might have in their head when they're searching out a mentor? The first thing I say is that talking gets you to places quicker. And it's quite, we're immersed in a social media world that, doesn't involve talking it involves interaction and interactions on social media have a stall point you know you have to wait for somebody to respond talking actively with an individual is really useful so that means you've got to get amongst individuals so um, creating connections or getting connected by other people talking to people you already know now um, that's the first thing because you can just ask people's advice and I would be looking at individuals that have been there before you as opposed to your peers in the same place as you so if you're asking your peers, again, everyone's sitting in the same stage of their career development and, and equally don't know what they don't know yet. So seek somebody out ahead of you. Um, you know, we're getting back to a world of it applied and in-person conferences, right? And it still amazes me how many you know, graduates are not investing in their time to go you know, spend time with other people and listen to world-class speakers and network. Um, so networking is another big one. Um, and again, that intentionality element of it, there's no point talking to somebody just in rugby and trying to seek out an individual just in rugby who's only ever worked in rugby if you want to broaden your skill set beyond rugby, for example. So that requires you to know who's there in the field, who's accessible. You know, there's um, you take Loughborough University, for example, and there's individuals there who have a fantastic um, student athlete population. And then there's England netball there. There's England rugby are there at times. Yet, who is aware of that and who is using that to advantage to meet people? Um, so, yeah, there's so much more that can be done for yourself, I think, as an individual um, that, that, that are becoming missed opportunities. Yeah, I think that's really massive. So, Dan, what's next for you in the next 12 to 18 months for you personally and also for Collaborate Sports? What, are there any projects or opportunities on the horizon? Yeah, so personally, I've got, I've got a few projects going on, uh, you know, relaunching my uh, mentorship. So just taking applicants for that at the moment, that will start end of June, beginning of July. Uh, one program based predominantly on soft skill for all practitioners. And that's everything from 
networking, communication, detail, feedback, personality profiling, and, and more, to the SNC specific program, which is uh, based on principles of practice so that individuals can apply that with autonomy and flexibility in their methods within whatever environment they're in. Um, and those programs have been really good for your graduate coaches, your mid-stage career individuals. Um, and so really looking forward to taking on a, a, a new new cohort of that in, in end of June, early July. Um, personally, I'm stepping away from, from coaching for the short term um, because I'm enjoying coaching coaches or coaching practitioners. Um, so actually taking up a, a lecturing job. And I guess this kind of answers what we've spoken about earlier, a gap in my ability to mentor people might be my appreciation of different teaching styles. And so me getting into lecturing solves two problems for me. It creates a bit of stability financially, but also helps me challenge myself in an area that I'm not yet proven expert in. Um, so that kind of, you know, you know, I'm living what I'm, I'm saying basically in that concept. And then just consultancy. So, so looking at different projects with different teams based around high performance and again trying to help them solve their specific problems whether that's building a, a system and process upon which to operate high performance within or auditing it reviewing it or cpd and personal development for individuals so very you know um, flexible and adaptable in that sense and enjoying those because each one's different um yeah so that's my next 12 to 18 months i think fantastic and I think I was having this conversation uh, with Derek Everly or someone similar mm. is that like if you're the type of person that don't that thinks you don't need mentoring you're probably exactly the person who does because if you think yeah. you, you know it all it's really interesting I was chatting to Ashley Jones last week and he's in between jobs and he said you know I think I'm just I think I'm starting to get it right you know and this is a guy who's yeah. you know coached all blacks coached the wallabies coached Edinburgh rugby Samoa you know and at the age of 61 he's thinking I think I'm starting to to get some good ideas down and starting to get things right so if you think at the age of 25 you've nailed it you probably need to look a bit deeper and uh, and have yeah. a bit more awareness yeah the moment you rest on your laurels somebody else is taking a step ahead of you further ahead of you and that's yeah I hear Ash say that is yeah humbling because it makes you think right yeah I, I need to keep on top of my own um development and where I sit compared to the rest of the world so yeah that's that's huge so where can people find out more about you and about collaborate sports and and kind of track you down online yeah my my socials are on twitter I'm just just myself uh, howells dan so surname and then first name and then on instagram uh, collaborate underscore sports is where I put out a lot of my content and trying to put a, a face to that environment a little bit more with videos and content shared and if you wanted to join some of the free interactive webinars that are placed out monthly they get put up on the website which is www.collaboratesports.com and um, yeah those are free thanks to, to a sponsor output sports have kindly helped solve that problem of making that environment free for people because even that was ticketed previously for people to come to and not not for a business sense but to to show value for everybody that spoke for me. You know, just uh, my perspective of wanting to show value add that transactional reward to say, thanks for spending two hours presenting and two hours preparing. Here's a little bit of, of money. That that was why those events were ticketed and probably people thought that that was a, a business ploy, but it, it wasn't, it was, a, it was a value add to those people giving up their time. And um, fortunately, Output Sports have allowed that problem to be solved, which opens up the door for many more people. Um, so yeah, I'd encourage people to to jump onto those technical and non-technical sessions because they're highly interactive. And you, if anything, you'll meet somebody new for sure. 
Mm. I know from running a few of these sort of events myself and speaking to others that do that, if anyone thinks that, you know, webinars and conferences, et cetera, are a massive money builder, they've never run one themselves <laughs> because, uh, you know, usually the intent there is to share good practice, not to make a killing, because uh, if, you, if your intent is to make a killing, you'll be pretty disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then it's just like how much time is being given up versus how much time I have available for this. Um, and so, yeah, there's that, those interactive webinars I really enjoy because there's a, a very specific topic in mind and we get to meet a ton of new people um, and there's no barriers there, which, which is fantastic for people. So, yeah, I hope to see as many new people there as possible in the coming months. Fantastic. Well, Dan, thanks so much for, for jumping online today and sharing you know, what you're doing and, and sharing your thoughts on mentoring. I know that'll be valuable for people. So really want to just uh, show appreciation for you and for, for sharing what you've got with us. So thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode. And don't forget to get your seven day free trial to our online platform, as well as 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50. Don't forget, you can find us on Instagram using the account at LTAD Network, as well as Twitter at LTAD Network, and find our website www.ltadnetwork.com.